Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, that was weak, but whatever. Um, I want uh, you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, if you would. We're going to jump right in, and then I'm going to explain what we're doing. So we're going to do this a little backwards. Book of Proverbs, chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 4. Just read two verses. Proverbs 26, uh, we're going to start in verse 4. It says this, uh, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. All right, makes sense. Seems like a solid verse. I like it. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, don't adjust your television sets. We did not just uncover a previously undiscovered typo in the Bible. These two verses are both right next to each other, and there is a reason they're there. I didn't mistype it, although you might find some typos on my PowerPoint. These two verses that say essentially the opposite things are right next to each other in the Bible. Now, people who want to discredit the Bible will look at that and be like, See, I told you. Contradictions, it's right there. They, did, they missed a contradiction and it was right next to one another. That's crazy. Uh, but it might be that the, the, the wisest book in the Bible has something else going on that we have to get into. This isn't some breakdown in translation. This is legitimately two Bible verses right next to one another. And the Bible is so interesting. It's so fascinating. Just from no other point of view, it's just fascinating to know that, that God would put these two verses together and then most of us would just read them and be like, mm, head scratcher, all right, let's keep, keep moving. But the Bible is so interesting because it encourages us to dig into it a little bit and find out what's going on. Now, the Proverbs is purposeful in contrasting these verses, and I believe it's to point to a dilemma with which we all struggle. It's a, it's a common dilemma we all have. It's a common question we all have, something that we all want to know, something that we all want some sort of resolu- resolution to. Now, the last uh, four weeks, we've been talking about foolishness, and mostly this foolishness has been in ourselves, and foolishness is kind of like an old Victorian word we don't use very often, but it just means someone who just can't figure it out, someone who won't pay attention, someone who lacks self-control, someone who just recklessly harms relationships. The Proverbs just is full of descriptions of what a fool is. And I think if you're anything like me, you've probably listened to the last few sermons, some of the sermons Jordan preached, even some of the sermons I preached at myself, and you thought, oof, man, there is a, there's a large percentage of the time that I behave like a fool. There's something wrong with me. But what if, and there's, here's the beginning of our dilemma, we're going to try to give this shape. What if The foolish person that we're dealing with is not us. What if the foolish person that we're dealing with is not us? And I know a lot of you were like, well, wait, I've been thinking about other people this whole series, so that's not really a a new thing for me. I was thinking about my husband, my wife, my kids, whatever this is. I've been thinking about other people the whole time. But for those of you that were following along with the sermons, what if the foolish person isn't us? What if we're dealing with other people who have foolishness bound up in them? We got, this, we got this struggle. The Bible, how do we deal with foolish people? Next slide if you want to go to that. How do we deal with foolish people? And I think a lot of us probably have a strategy that we employ pretty quickly. We know exactly what we do. We know exactly what we say. We know exactly how we talk about them, how we judge them, how we, whatever. Whatever we're doing, we know exactly what we do. But how do we deal with foolish people in, a, in, a, in like a wise way? How do we deal with foolish people in a wise way? Because verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will become like him. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Now, okay, all right. Have you ever noticed this? And and I think this is universal. Maybe it's just me. Foolish people make us want to do foolish things. 
No? Okay, just me. Fair enough. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. My daughter played softball this year for the first time, and the fields that these uh, third and fourth graders played on, there was two fields, and there was a parking lot adjacent to these two fields, and the parking lot had about a hundred too few parking spots for how many families were there. So it was always like super crowded. Everybody's jockeying for position. Tensions are high. You know, there's these people waiting on that spot and like, come on, get your kids in the car so we can get that spot because there was these, you know, there was only a handful of spots for everybody. All these families, all these SUVs that are all trying to pull into these spots. So not a lot gets me worked up. But one evening we come in looking for a spot to park, and there were a few, but I saw this picture. Now, not, seriously, I'm usually pretty laid back, but there are just these few things in the world that get me a little wound up. And I don't know why. This is my spiritual gift, I guess. But this, people taking up more than one parking spot, gets me wound up a little bit. So I'm just, I'm just sitting there staring at this car. I go up to the car to see if somebody's in it. Because if somebody's in it, I'm going to give them a stern look. Like, like a look that I want to communicate. Listen, buddy, you pretentious jerk. What are, you know, something like that. And then I start thinking, you know what? And I say this out loud. I'm with my, my wife and my kids. You know, I don't say anything terrible. But I say, you know what? <clears throat> I think I'm going to write a note on that car. You know, a nice passive-aggressive note. (laughs) Great idea. I think I'm going to write a note letting this person know what I think of their parking job. You know, they think you drive a nice car and you can't park next to the other families in the world. Come on, I'm going to write them a nice note. And actually, to tell you the truth, if I had been driving my 92 Tercel that I don't care too much about, I would have pulled in right there as close to the door as I could have and gotten out. That's totally what I would have done, but... Uh, thank the Lord I wasn't driving that vehicle. And so I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to write this guy a note. So my wife, who is wise, called my bluff. And she introduced this new kind of like angle into my frustration. And she, she wisely was thinking, well, wait, wait a second. You, as a representative of the church, like first of all, what if that had been a church member? By the way, if that's your car, you need to fix your parking. What... <laughs> What if that had been a church member? What if that had been somebody like we knew, you know, and we're like trying to, you know, teach about Jesus or something like that. So she knows that there's this larger picture that kind of needs to be addressed there. So she jokingly tells me, calling my bluff, she was like, yeah, you should write him a note and you should write it on a church invitation. How would that, you know, how, would, how do you think that would go over? You know, because that would look at you, pretentious jerk taking two parking spots, Woodbury Church of Christ, you know, like... So I, kind of calling her bluff on this, I was like, yeah, I should write a note on a church invitation, and I should say, obviously by your parking job, you need Jesus. <laughs> and she was kind of into it at this point, and she was like, yeah, you should write him a little note, says Jesus teaches us to share, you know, you need to learn. But more, more quickly than me, she kind of realized that if I actually reacted this way, and I, this is not, not fair, but the baseball game was this way, and the parking spot was over here, and for a good portion of the baseball game, I was looking over here to see if I could see who was parking there. If it had been somebody who like, couldn't see the lines, I was going to be like, whatever. But if it was just some young guy with aviator glasses and his collar popped, I would have been like, ooh, that guy. I don't know. Why I would judge him worse than somebody else, I don't know. It's all foolishness, right? More quickly than me, she realized that if I had done something that wouldn't have been very Christ-like in that moment, that I would be answering a fool according to his folly, and I would have been just like him. 
I would have been just like him. I assume it's a him, by the way. Her. We want to be equal opportunity. Could be. The risk we run when we let their foolishness draw out our foolishness is that we compromise the ability to influence them. And that's what I think verse 5 begins to talk about. It says, do answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, this not dealing with someone is fine if there's some guy who parked in a parking spot or somebody, some stranger we see in a grocery store that cuts in line or whatever those things that get us worked up. But what, what happens when these people are people that we love? These, these people exhibiting foolish behaviors are people that we love, people that we care about, people that we live with. What happens when there's somebody a little bit more close to us that we can't just so easily dismiss? What happens if they're a, like a teenage child? Now, our teens are a shining exception to this. But you may have heard or read that the average teenager, with the exception of ours, can be a little what the Bible might describe foolish. And I'll give you an example of this. I, as a teenager, was the epitome. Like, you could take out the word fool in the book of Proverbs, and you could put in teenage Patrick. And I, I like, that was my to-do list, basically. That was, that was me. Um, I, I know I was, I was the epitome of a fool. I was argumentative. I was know-it-all. Seriously, ask my mom. Like, she likes me now, but it was touch and go there for a while. <laughs> what, if, what if the foolish behavior is, is a spouse? What if the foolish behavior is someone that we have promised to spend the rest of our lives with? What do we do? How do we handle that? I mean, we've all been in arguments that we're embarrassed to recount because at the heart of that argument was some disagreement that was so trivial and so ridiculous. And sure, it got serious, and we brought in old arguments and issues, and it just got a bigger deal. But at the heart of it, the nugget of it was something so dumb. Verse 5 says, Answer a fool, or they will become wise in their own eyes, which is the Proverbs way of saying someone that is beyond hope. Later on in the book of Proverbs, it talks about, in this chapter, it says, you see someone who's wise in their own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for them. We don't, we don't want to give up hope on people. So either, this is the choice, how do we love and influence people, especially when those people are the, the foolish people that we love and live with? Either we get dragged into a conflict where nobody wins, you both end up looking foolish, or you kind of just like keep your distance, cross your fingers, and hope things work out. When do you apply verse 4? When do you apply verse 5? When do you know when to do the first thing? When do you know when to do the second thing? How do we, how do we figure this out? And fortunately, I have an answer for you. I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do. Okay? Ready for this? And it's a good thing you came today, because especially if you're like thinking about that coworker or that neighbor or that friend or whatever that's acting foolishly, this is really going to help you. So this is exactly what you should do. Pens out. We've got taking notes. Okay? This is exactly what you should do. You have to figure it out for yourself. Which is kind of the point of wisdom. You have to figure it out for yourself, which is the point of wisdom. Um, as I was reading through this, and Jordan and I you know, talk about it a little bit in the office during the week, he uh, pointed out this quote to me that I thought was so good. And this quote is with, with, uh, written specifically with this proverb in mind, but it, it applies to the Proverbs uh, generally speaking. He, uh, Peter Enns is an author who wrote a great book called uh, Because the Bible Tells Me So, and he wrote this. He says, wisdom doesn't tell you what to do. Wisdom doesn't tell you what to do. It shapes you over time so that when the time comes, you can make wise decisions. Wisdom makes you fit to think for yourself. 
Man, I like that. Wisdom makes you fit to think for yourself. Well, I can't speak into your specific situation, but Proverbs doesn't leave us hanging. It doesn't give us turn-by-turn directions. We can't plug in an address, and it will tell us exactly what to do in any given situation. With You, you can't even do the same thing with all your kids or all your siblings or, or both your parents. Every situation is unique and requires wisdom from God. But Proverbs doesn't leave us hanging. And I want to just leave you with three things that kind of help us navigate, help us kind of like figure this out, give us parameters from within which we can know how do we handle uh, the foolish people around us, especially when they're people that we love and care about. Number one, number one, we don't have to give an opinion. We don't have to give an opinion. Um... How many of you uh, can remember, this hasn't been very long ago, because this stuff happens so often. How many of you remember the Starbucks Red Cups, or Cecil the Lion, or Harambe the Gorilla? How many of you remember all those things, right? They were, they were flashpoints in, in our culture because it was a slow news day, so some news organization took it up, or Facebook took it up, and these things were all over. And, and if those things don't mean in, anything to you, congratulations. You have avoided the internet outrage machine. But these incidences elicited these quick, loud, overwhelming, and entirely unnecessary opinions from every corner of the universe, it felt like. Now, then everybody was like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe people would do that. I can't believe that. Then People who lodged that opinion were struck back by people who couldn't believe those people had that opinion, and they had to express the opposite opposing opinion. And there was this, I can't believe you think that, I can't believe you don't, Starbucks is terrible, you should kill more gorillas, or whatever it was. I mean, there's just this constant argument. Then there was a group of people, I would probably consider myself in this, that decided I had to weigh in on opinion about people having opinions at all. So there's like this, oh, I can't believe you guys care so much about this. Like, well, who needs to know that from me? Like, uh, these moments in time, these moments in culture just made everybody kind of rise up and say, here's what I think about the situation, here's what I know, here's what I want you to know about what I think. Right now, all our outrage is probably being used up in the political sphere, but wait for a slow news day and we'll get something else. We'll get something else. I could have titled this sermon, Stay Off Facebook, but... As popular and kind of culturally accepted the practice of expressing every opinion we have is, we do not always have to express, frankly, we don't even always have to have an opinion, a criticism, or a correction. Let me tell you something. If our goal is to influence foolish people, in some, maybe most, situations, it might be more helpful to keep quiet about issues that we are absolutely right about. It might be more helpful not to say anything. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23, uh, it says, The prudent, the wise, they keep their knowledge to themselves. Their knowledge, the things that they are right about, they keep that knowledge to themselves. And I would say, Solomon or whoever wrote this proverb would write and dispense it when necessary, but they keep their knowledge to themselves. But the fool's heart blurts out folly. And if this were written to our generation, the fool's heart types out folly. Let's be a little self-reflective here. How many unnecessary conflicts 
wouldn't have escalated. They weren't our fault. We didn't start them. We didn't say the first thing. We didn't cast the first punch. We didn't throw the first stone. But how many unnecessary conflicts wouldn't be escalated if we were able to let go of the need to constantly criticize and correct and weigh in with our opinion? How many conflicts would just dissipate out into the wild, never to be seen again? In fact, you might find that your correction... Your criticism, your opinion, carries more weight in direct correlation to how sparingly you give them. Because if you're always weighing in on everything, people tend to tune you out. You become white noise. But if you can wait for those special moments when it really matters, um, then maybe your opinion will actually be something that people listen to, especially the people that you love. Jesus was notably reserved about weighing in on the prevailing controversies of the day. Have you ever noticed that? They had to go up and ask him what he thought, and even then he wouldn't even give them a straight answer. Even religious controversies. Jesus didn't feel like he had to say, well, I'm anti this, I'm pro this, I'm... I'm," He didn't feel like he had to weigh in on all those things. Because he knew that there was something more important going on. There was something more important at stake than his opinion about every matter that came up. I think Jesus knew something that we forget. It's possible to win an argument, but to lose influence. It's possible to win an argument, but to lose influence. I, I'm, I'm a young parent. I just had a child that turned 13. And I, parents always say, oh, the teenage years, the teenage years. Well, I'm already that type of guy that weighs in too much and gives too many of my opinions. And I've seen situations where I've tried to correct and direct. And I I can see that maybe I'm making my point. Maybe I'm winning the argument. But I'm not really influencing or shaping or guiding. I'm just telling them what to do. I want to have influence in the people's lives that I love. I just don't want to make them have to tune me out or have to listen. I want to have influence. It's possible to win an argument and lose influence. We don't have to give an opinion. We do have to give love. Secondly, secondly, we don't have to get offended. We don't have to get offended. I know some of you are offended that I said that because you're like, well, wait, I, you know, I'm a little offended. I was playing basketball. Um, this has been a few years ago now. I was playing basketball with this, with this guy, and there's a group of guys we play pretty regularly. And uh, I went up for a rebound. Um, if you don't know what that is, who cares? Um, I went up for a rebound. And I managed to catch my wedding ring on another player's tooth. Front tooth, uh, right there. And he, like, immediately grabbed his face and went down. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm a pretty mild-mannered guy. I'm so sorry, so sorry. And he kind of pulled his hands away from his mouth. And there was just a big old chunk of front tooth gone. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, my wedding ring, you know. What, what have you wrought and I was just ready. I mean, this is just, these aren't, these, this isn't a church league, although church leagues can get pretty angry too. This is just some guys, right? Just some guys. And I thought, he's going to punch me. He's going to yell at me. Like, ah, this is it. You know, it's been a good run. I've lived this long. At least I died playing basketball, you know, like. And he was so kind and so gracious about it that it was shocking. Like, that, that incident still kind of resonates with me, not because I broke his tooth, but because of how he responded. He was like, don't worry about it. Uh, my dad knows a great dentist. He's like, there's just one thing that you could do for me. And I was like, anything. What do you want me to do? I will drive you to the dentist. I will, you know, whatever it is. I felt so bad. He was like, just please never wear your wedding ring playing basketball again. Okay, I can do that. And I haven't broken anybody's teeth since. 
But it was, it was notable because of how unusual he responded to the situation. He didn't get upset. He didn't get offended. I broke his front tooth. He didn't get mad. It seems like we live in a society that's on the lookout to be offended. And we're part of that. We do that too. And we get offended when people get offended at us. I mean, it's just this cycle of people getting upset. I saw a post on Facebook again. And by the way, would you please, as a church, as a church family, can we just agree on this one thing? Let's have a little, little talk. I didn't want to have to talk about this. I didn't want to tell you this. Would you please do just a 30-second Google search before you share that post? Would you please do that? Please. Because it, for no other reason, it gets me all wound up when I do a 30-second Google search, and then I think, this isn't true, and then I'm like, you need to stop posting things, and then I'm like, oh, wait, now I'm doing it too. I'm, I'm part of the problem. Would you please, is it, can we as a church just not post garbage? Can we all agree to that? Let's, let's all, that's not that hard, right? Let's just all agree to that. Like, before I hit, you know, enter, hmm, is this really true? You know, is this really right? Is this really the, proje- the image that I want to project to the world? Does this, you know, does this reflect well on me? And does it reflect well on God? Does it reflect well on my church? Can we just please do that? I'm kind of joking, but not really, right? I saw this post on Facebook, um, and it said, it said, and I quote, I don't know if this is true, but if it is, I'm very upset about it. <laughs> and I started to compose a response, and then I deleted, and I thought, no, they need to know. And then I deleted, and then I was just like, I can't. I can't do this. I can't. I can't do it. At least they were honest about not knowing. Most of the time, we just are like, oh, this is for sure. This is fact. And we have no idea, right? This is what we feel. This is what we think. We don't have to get offended about everything. In fact, oof, this, is, uh, this might be important for some of you. I'm not, if we're interacting with someone foolish, there is a good chance that at some point they are going to intentionally try to offend us. They're going to intentionally try to make us upset. They want us to be upset because they're upset. And if there's someone who knows us well, they're going to know exactly what words to say and what buttons to push to really get uh, a rise out of us. They're going to know, and they're going to push those buttons because they're, you know, they got that nuclear option because they know if, we, if, we, if they say that, we're just done for. and We're all upset and we're all offended. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but Proverbs has some advice. Two verses. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16 says, Fools show their annoyance at once that. It's a reaction. It's a reflex. It's a habit. But the prudent, the wise, overlook an insult. Hmm. I didn't realize that was an option. I can overlook an insult. Someone can say something mean to me or mean about somebody that, that I support politically, or they can say something about which I completely disagree, and I can just overlook that? What? Why, you are so wise, Bible. Proverbs chapter 19 Verse 11, I love this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to, listen to this, it is to one's glory. You look better. You come out looking like the guy that made the right decision. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, I want you to know something. Getting, getting offended isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not. You can get, there's things that should offend you, right? Right? There are things that should offend us. 
But offense is a powerful tool because it taps into some deep, strong emotions and it lowers some inhibitions that we normally would would put in place on ourselves. It's kind of like turning a fire hose on full. If that fire hose is pointed at a burning house, great. But if it's not, we're just going to cause ourselves and other people around us problems. You don't have to get offended. In fact, I would even argue that love expressed in the face of offense is a powerful influence, a powerful witness. Number three, number three, we don't have to give in or give up. I know of all these responses that we've talked about, for a lot of you, this is probably the most tempting because it's just easier to write them off. Who cares about them? They mean nothing to me. They're not part of my life. Just write them off. I don't care. I Forget it. I tried. But when the stakes are low, it's easy. When it's a stranger, when it's something we mildly care about, that's easy. But what, what about when it's someone that we really care about, somebody that we live with, somebody that we love? Um, my wife's name is Corrine. Not all of you know that, and I'm letting, even those that you go to church with us, they don't know that her name's Corrine. Some of you think her name is Corinne, because her parents spelled it C-O-R-I-N-N-E, and it looks like Corinne. So everywhere we go, people are always like, oh, you know, this is my wife, Corrine, and they'll like look at, oh, Corinne, Corinne. So there's somebody that both of us, Corrine and I know, we've known them for about 20 years, and, and for the last two decades, they have mispronounced her name. <clears throat> mild-mannered Patrick just kind of lets it go. Whatever, right? Whatever. Corinne, yeah. And, and there have been, uh, I haven't done this yet, but there's been a time or two I've been tempted to mispronounce it as to not make them feel bad about mispronouncing it. But uh, I was talking to this guy on the phone. We've known for a long time. That would be awful, right? Don't mispronounce your wife's name. Um, but I was talking to this guy on the phone, and I said, uh, he said, you know, so you and your wife, Corinne, and I, I didn't correct it, I didn't correct it, but I made the mistake of, so what I try to do is just not say your name so they don't know that they've been messing, you know, saying my wife or whatever. Um, and I, I made the mistake of pronouncing it correctly. This person that I have known for about 20 years, I pronounced it correctly. I said, well, Karina and I, da 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 whatever. And there was this pause on the other end of the line. And I could tell. He didn't say anything, but I could tell that there was, you know, that, that pause was an indication of, like, this awkwardness. And he was thinking, Patrick. You have let me mispronounce your wife's name for 20 years? You've let that happen? What is wrong with you? I don't know if he was saying that, but that's what I was saying in my own head. I have no confirmation. But come on. Like, that's ridiculous, right? Now the stakes are low. Who cares? You pronounced my wife's name wrong. We don't know him that well anyways. We're not close. Whatever. Write him off. But what about when it is somebody we care about and the subject is important and they're making decisions that are bad and that affect us and the other people that we love? What about when the stakes are a little bit higher. This is too hard. They're not going to listen anyway. Plus, by the way, it's really hard to be judgmental from right up close. If you get a little distance, it's much easier to be judgmental about them. So it's always easier to put someone in a category and keep our distance. Ah, they're being foolish. They're an idiot. Whatever. Who cares about them? Because from a distance, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about it. It's always more difficult to battle for the relationship. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden, or I would argue maybe even distant love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And when those are only choices, rebuke or hidden love, the Bible says it's better to open the rebuke than to, than to hide our love. 
So when we find ourselves in the middle of these dilemmas, I want to ask you a couple of questions. We're going to wrap up this morning, but I want to just ask you to think about this, because I don't know, maybe immediately you're like, yes, I can think about a foolish person, my brother-in-law, my, my, my you know, second cousin, or, or my coworker. I can think of, or my child, or whatever. I can think of a foolish person. That's, I know exactly who, uh, who I'd put in this category. But I want to ask you a few questions about how we're influencing them and what we're doing uh, as, as, as by way of showing love. And, and just three quick questions as we wrap up especially if this is somebody with, with whom you're in conflict. Number one, what's more important, being right or being an influence? What's more important, being right or being an influence? I hope that says the same thing that I'm saying up there. Being right or being an influence. Question number two, are you more concerned with making sure that they know you're offended or making sure that they know that you're, they're loved? Are you more concerned with making sure that they know you're offended or making sure that they know they're loved? Third, is our distance an attempt to help or because we've found being loving too difficult, awkward, or messy? Is our distance an attempt to help or because we've found being loving too difficult, awkward, or messy? Do not answer a fool according to their folly, or you will be just like them. Answer a fool according to their folly, or they will become wise in their own eyes. We need to desperately pray to God for wisdom to know how to handle foolish people. Because this may be a surprise to you. You just might be surrounded by them. Maybe some people are praying for wisdom to know how to handle you. And aren't you glad that they're seeking God's wisdom to know how to respond to you when you do foolish things? So my challenge this week is rather than writing people off, idiot, stupid, ridiculous, rather than writing people off, let's figure out how we can seek God's wisdom to influence them and show them love. We're going to wrap up with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Leon if he would come up and, and close us out. And, uh, and maybe one of those prayer requests that you can be offering up today is for someone that's difficult and someone that's troublesome in your life. Uh, figure out what it means to show them love and respond with wisdom. Leon?